The title for this morning's talk is Living the Future, and I've borrowed that from a book written in 2016 by Douglas Erickson. And he was exploring vineyard theology at that point, but it's very handy for what I want to talk about this morning. Because many of us are experiencing an underlying feeling, which I want to come to in a minute. But the point is that if we don't have a clear uh, movement, moving towards a future, then we are, in a way, rudderless. So let's get to it. And I'll start out with uh, referring to a philosopher who wrote a book in 2013 um, called Death in the Afterlife, Samuel Scheffler, where he was exploring the impact of uh, our understanding, our core assumption of what happens when we die. Now, he's not talking particularly about a spiritual afterlife, but that somehow life will continue after we've gone, uh, whether it's with children or there's an assumption that what we do now matters and that it has a continuing effect. And he essentially was saying that uh, if we do not have, with various thought experiments, he, he, he worked around what, what was going on, if we do not have some kind of understanding of continuation. In other words, this future that we look towards is a horizon which we actually drive towards and affects the way that we live. Now, we've lived over the last six months with uh, a large amount of dislocation and um, disorientation, disruption. And if we don't actually understand, if we lose a sense of our horizons and our future, then we're in trouble. And we've pretty much lost every frame of reference in terms of how life is going to be. We're not sure what's going to happen in the next two weeks or the next six months, let alone further down the track. And the sense of dislocation is in everything in terms of the way our home routines have been affected, our work life, the way our children have been affected, um, economics, social life, and so on and so on. We can ca carry on naming it. But this whole sense of not being able to trust the future. If our horizons are blurred, if our future is truncated or disappears, and we need these horizons to live uh, appropriately, and we often don't notice that they're even there, but if, if that sense of the future is disturbed, we can experience what is known as acedia. Now, acedia is a Greek, classical Greek word that comes from the root word kedos, which means to care or to have concern. And by adding a negative prefix, what you get is acedia. Now, it's not caring, but it's not caring about not caring. And I suppose um, it's a little bit like, I can't be bothered. But it's more than that. It's, it's not just that I don't care. There's, there's, life becomes distracted and distorted, and it's the uncertainty of it. It's a little bit like you've got a dozen things to do, and you know you should do them, and they're all not bad things, but you just can't get around to it. There's this listlessness, um, an undirected anxiety of being worn down. 
the inability to concentrate, being agitated, restless. There's a lethargy, a lack of motivation. And the temptation is to shut down. Now, Gail and I over the last couple of weeks have experienced in our discussions with people more and more of this kind of sense of things being so what and of wanting to shut down a bit. Now, that was recognized by John Cassian. Now, John Cassian was a monk and a theologian from the late um, uh, 5th century, early, late 4th century, early 5th century. And in 325, when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, um, a period after, after that led to the growth of various monastic um, communities. And one of the things they found amongst the monks was as they had withdrawn out of the social and emotional world that they had been used to and became more solitary, there was this, what I've described and what John Cassian described as acedia, this listlessness, this this inability to, to get going, this agitation and restlessness. And he gave it this name, acedia, not caring. Um, and it came into popular usage and the first expression of it in 1607 in the English language is when it's used to describe a spiritual listlessness. Now, with the pandemic and the government regulations that we are facing, um, our social and emotional worlds have been disrupted. And I think a lot of people um, have, have, have begun to experience some form or another of this underlying listlessness, this uh, acedia. And it made me think of a sermon I preached a couple of months ago, end of July, 29th of July to be exact, on Jeremiah 29. Now, the children of Israel had been taken into exile. They had unwillingly gone to a place where they had been dislocated and disrupted in terms of everything that they knew. <clears throat> they were um, marched off 900 miles to Babylon and uh, the Psalm 137, which Boney M. in the late 70s uh, popularized with their um, By the Rivers of Babylon, We Lay Down and Wept uh, song. They, they got to Babylon and they were looking over their shoulder constantly. When we were in Jerusalem and they kept reminiscing about how good it was and how wonderful it was and how everything became rosier and rosier. And Jeremiah essentially writes a letter to them, and he says to them, in no uncertain terms, uh, this is your new reality, so get over it and get on with life. Now, Jeremiah was relatively blunt, and what he said essentially was, look, settle down, take wives, have children, start businesses, plant vineyards, root yourself in this new reality because that's the reality that you have to face. You can't go back to what was. And if you do, it's going to be different anyway. Now, really what he's saying is, grow where you planted. Take what's in your hand, whatever it is that you face now, 
that's what you have to deal with. There's no good looking over your shoulder constantly and thinking, oh, it could have been better, it shouldn't have been better, and, and moaning about the fact that it's not what the, the best possible thing could be. Now, Psalm 23 says something similar, and I don't know if you've noticed in the past, but Psalm 23 verse 4 says, Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of deep darkness, we fear no evil, because your rod and staff comfort us. Now, a rod and a staff would not be the traditional way in which you would describe being comforted. But what is being said is that the, the, the constraints, the disciplines of the rod and the staff, the ones that keep us on track, that keep us on, on, the, on the road, those are the things that provide the security and the safety and the comfort that we need. Now, I hope to be a bit more gentle this morning than maybe Jeremiah or, or David in Psalm 23, but the truth is that those things expressed are actually uh, essentially what we need to do is face the reality that we have, but keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Now, Hebrews 13 verse 8 says this, and I'll read it to you in uh, two different versions. The NIV says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The message puts it this way, for Jesus doesn't change. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, he's always totally himself. I like that. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, he's always totally himself, talking about Jesus. So, again, Let's say this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when the psalmist says Jesus is our rock, when we understand that there is something immovable, something secure, something totally solid about the way that God is, that our circumstances may shift like the children of Israel being taken into Babylon, but we are underpinned, we are settled in the sense that we are solidly placed on the rock, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And one of the things about God, about Jesus, that we, we need to reaffirm, I suppose, is that he's constantly transforming, he's constantly renewing. Now, we, we are... We, we, so many, on so many occasions, we, we find ourselves sort of being deflated where God comes and re-energizes us and renews us. And I suppose the first thing to say is that in the beginning, if we go all the way back to Genesis, there you have a situation that is dark and chaotic. And the Spirit of God broods over it, and God speaks to it. And day by day, as the creation unfolds and order is, is, is produced, God says on each occasion, and it was good. And then again, and it was good, and it was good. And in the end, it was very good. Now, Sometimes we would like things to be transformed and renewed instantly. And we want it to be totally different to what it is now so that we can be nice and comfortable. But the truth is God is at work renewing and transforming in these circumstances. 
and it may be uh, slower than you would perhaps like. And maybe your uh, eyes have been taken off the ball and you've been distracted. But the truth is that God is our rock. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, he broods over and speaks into the circumstances that we're in, the darkness and the chaos. And slowly but surely, he says, as it begins to unfold, this is good, this is good, this is very good. Because out of those things where there is nothing, God begins to create something of beauty. And he does it with you and I. And if we need more evidence of that, you can see how David, in Psalm 51, when he sinned with Bathsheba, Nathan comes to him and talks to him. And he realizes what he's done and he repents. And Psalm 51, this incredible psalm of, of repentance. In verse 10, it says this, and I love the message. It says, God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. We've been talking in broad strokes now, up till now, but now let's take our own lives and say, God, out of the darkness and chaos that is in my life, and to be frank, most of us have faced some kind of um, darkness and chaos over the last months, and even perhaps at this moment. We say, God, brood over us. Let your spirit rest on us. Create out of the chaos and darkness of our life a fresh Genesis week. Shape a Genesis week, a fresh start. And God will say, that's good. There's a passage in Isaiah that, it, although slightly different, reflects this. And I want to read it to you from the New International. It's Isaiah 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. And so he goes on. Strengthen your feeble hands, steady the knees that gave way. Say to those fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. And the point is this, that out of desert land, out of something that looks like desert, when the living water flows, when the fountain of life comes to a situation of dry and barren desert, it begins to bloom. We must not lose sight in these times of the fact that God is constantly busy. Jesus is on the throne. We can have a sense of celebration and joy even in the midst of all of this because we know that God is at work in us and through us. Now, I was actually thinking about this and just as an illustration and I want to just sort of slightly aside here say, uh, Isaac Denison wrote Babette's Feast, uh, um, a, a delightful uh, novel that was made into a film in the 80s, I think it was. And I want to just encourage you, if you've never seen Babette's Feast, just find it somewhere and, and watch it as this gentle unfolding of grace and blessing and provision. And just enjoy what it is, because that's how it happens. Sometimes God does things in a hurry. Most of the times, it, he uses images like seeds being planted and growing and bearing fruit. It's a slow, gentle process that takes place. 
And I think that process is, is, is aided sometimes by the way that we behave. So I want to just suggest a few things. If you're struggling with the sense of listlessness and restlessness and acedia, then here are some things to do. And the first is, I think Gail sent out on Thursday a newsletter where she addressed the issue of uh, prayer and the rhythm, a rhythm of life. And I think getting back into a rhythm of our relationship with Jesus and with others, that intentionality to create a pattern, uh, a structure, a trellis that uh, frames all that we do is really important. Because when these disturbances come, it can knock us off course and we find very soon that the, the, the normal patterns of life have been disrupted. Get back to a pattern of life. Uh, reinforce it if you've managed to keep it. But the whole thing of prayer and being with God is so important. And I want to add to that and say a second thing that I found helpful. Reflect on some of the passages that God has used to speak to you, especially in your life. Now, what I mean is, um, if I say to you, what scriptures are important to you? What has God said to you that is encouraging? Now, for me personally, um, Psalm 40 verse 1 and 2, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the miry clay and set my feet on a rock. And he put a new song in my heart, even a song of praise that many will see and hear. That has always stood me in good stead. It's always been one of those go-to passages in a situation like this where I go to and I think, yes, God has lifted me up out of the miry clay and set my feet on a rock and put a song in my heart. Or... For some people, I know Romans 8, that whole passage of what can separate us from the, the love of God. And he lists this whole list of things that can't. In other words, he's saying, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And to just remind ourselves at this particular point of some of those passages where the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. So those first two things. Then I want to say this as well. Worship is important, and it doesn't matter how that takes place and what form it takes. Yes, we are excluded from meeting together in a way that we are used to, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't still be worshipping. Find some music, find some rhythm. I know some of you have made up little playlists of songs that are meaningful for your worship, and you spend time either reading or in meditation or in silence as they pray, or singing out loud. Do the things that are part of the pattern of your behavior, but worship. Come before God at a particular point in time and offer Him what is due His name. And then, allied to that, let me encourage you again to make a space uh, to find a time uh, for pausing and reflecting on God's goodness. Take communion. Put some bread and some wine or some similar aside and make time to stop before that. And when it says, do this in remembrance of me, stop and remember what Jesus has actually done for you. Rehearse 
like the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and in the years that um, followed, they were, they were called to remember what God had done for them, how he had liberated them, how he'd set them free, how he had provided for them, how he'd brought them into a place of promise and established them. Go over what God has done in your life. Remember some of the moments where you had a particular experience of his presence or his power and celebrate his goodness. And that leads on to the next thing, which is gratitude and saying, what are you grateful for? What are the things that you can celebrate at this point? And then use those, turn those into a time of thanksgiving and praise as you celebrate communion with those in your family, if not just quietly on your own. Because when we do that, when we remember and rehearse and celebrate what Jesus has done and what he has done specifically for us in that way. It reinforces the way that we have experienced God and we are able to say, looking forward, we trust that because Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever, that that will continue to be the case. We have a future. We have a horizon that we are moving towards. One practical thing quickly. Don't forget to exercise. It's so important that we care for um, these temples, which are our bodies. Make sure you don't mess it up. Continue to keep yourself healthy and fit. And then one last thing. Connect with other people. Now, things are being shut down and it looks like it could get even worse. It's important for us to maintain the relationships that we have. And to make an effort with other people. This sense of acedia, this listlessness that so many are feeling, you can be certain that there are others around you that are also feeling this. And it's, it's important for us to go beyond ourselves, to maintain our relationships within the church and outside the church with our family. And do it in an intentional way. Contact others, phone them, FaceTime them, whatever it is, do it in a way that you can sit and chat to somebody and find out how they are, inquire after them, be kind to those around you, go beyond yourself is what I'm saying. And when you do all these sort of things, you will be living the future. You will be living in the future. You will be bringing the kingdom of God into this world that we live in. Now, we don't do that on our own. What we've described, what I've described so on with the uh, last few minutes has been the stuff that we need to do. These, this is the framework that we need to create. And on Monday night, we had a Zoom meeting with all the senior pastors of the Vineyard Movement. And there was a whole lot of discussion. And one of um, our senior pastors in Dublin reminded us of the image of the boat where you hoist the sail. We can't make the Spirit of God do anything. We can't force anything to happen. But what we can do is create the environment that we will catch the wind when it blows. And so what I've described is, in a sense, hoisting our sails, getting things ready, and then praying and saying, 
God send your spirit. And in just the same way as the Spirit of God was brooding over the darkness of, and chaos of creation uh, right at the beginning and bringing order and beauty, just in the same way that David in his repentance experienced this new and fresh beginning of making a Genesis week out of the chaos of his life, so God will do the same with us. And also, as the beginning of the church was, they were, they were met together to pray and to come before God and the Spirit of God fell on them and there was power and joy. So too, as we come before God, as we open ourselves, as we hoist our sails, the power and joy of God will come. The paraclete, the one who is given to comfort us, the one who is given to lead and direct us in this time. And Paul writes to the Ephesian church, just to remind you, and he says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. An imperative, a, a, a present continuous thing. This is not something that we look at that happens so far back. We keep saying with humility and with openness, Come Holy Spirit, is our prayer. Rest on us, brood over us, fill us, empower us. Give us again the sense of joy and celebration in the midst of this kind of situation. Lots of things are happening and they're going to continue to happen. There may be a deep sense of acedia for you or for those around you. This listlessness and um, restlessness. But as we come before God, as we open ourselves again in a fresh way, as we invite him by his spirit to rest on us and blow on us, we will again be living the future.